Hello, welcome to another episode of Sweet Valley Online, where evil triplets come together to snark Sweet Valley twins and explore the darkness that lurks just beneath the surface of Sweet Valley. I'm Wing, hater of all things pastel and a newcomer to Sweet Valley, and I'm here with my not-so-evil triplets, Dove and Raven. Hi, I'm Raven. I've been reading Sweet Valley for approximately 25 minutes, and I am not a real bird. Hi, I'm Dove, and I've been reading Sweet Valley since the 90s, and despite how truly awful it is, I actually like it, and I don't know why. This month, we recapped Choosing Sides, Sneaking Out, and The New Girl, and there weren't quite as many Wing and or Raven go boom moments. So what did you guys think of them? Um, out of the three, I have to say I preferred the new girl. I thought sneaking out was probably the worst one. And I just generally feel a bit meh about choosing sides. But that's because I don't really care much for Amy. I don't know why. There's, you know, she's not as awful as pretty much everyone else who isn't Nora McCandy or Sophia Rizzo or anyone like that. But I don't particularly feel any strong need to protect her or anything like that. So... That's probably why I wasn't so much into that particular book. What about you guys? Personally, I think I I actually quite enjoyed The New Girl. There were a few things, as you'll see from my recap, which I didn't like. But there were uh, there, there was a, a certain honesty about it, which made me actually quite get into it and, and uh, enjoy the characterization. I also quite enjoyed um, Sneaking Out, which I know you didn't like, simply because the whole Johnny Book thing I found really funny. I just found it was just ridiculous, and I, I could enjoy that for, for for what it was. The other one, um, Choosing Sides, was okay, um, probably the worst of the three for me. But even then, I still found I still found some fun in it. Um, I honestly think that maybe I'm I'm coming to this, I'm coming to actually quite enjoy reading these books now. <laughs> I've read ahead a little bit and I'm enjoying those as well. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? This isn't this isn't supposed to happen. I'm supposed to hate all of these. But hey, what can you say? Maybe I'm just an optimist. Or you are actually designed to be my husband. Like <laughs> this is a sign from the gods that we did right getting married, oh and God. also that we're child free. I think. <laughs> what about you, Wing? Well, first of all, I think that Raven drank the Kool-Aid, so I will not be drinking anything <laughs> that either of you hand me the next time we hang out in person, because no. One of us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and also, I'll be different. I think my favorite of the three is Choosing Sides, because I do like Amy a lot, uh, even though Choosing Sides has some really terrible moments, which I guess we can get into a little bit later in our discussions. But Elizabeth is super sexist in the advice she gives, as so Dove has pointed out multiple times in the recap and her comments on the recap. But I really do like the fact that it's a realistic idea, at least, that as the friends get older, they're starting to branch out into different interests. And you see this mostly between Elizabeth and Jessica, of course, as they move into the unicorns and the newspaper. But it's also a super realistic thing at this time for people to choose different interests and have to kind of move away from their doing everything together aspect of friendships. So I really liked that. And I liked, too, the kind of parallel between Amy Amy's story and then some of the stories with the basketball team. But there was annoying sexism throughout it, 
from Elizabeth and in other places. Uh, I did love the Johnny Buck aspect of <laughs> seeking out because it was so ridiculous. Who the hell throws a concert at 3 p.m.? Johnny Buck throws a concert at 3 p.m., that's who. The Spice Girls didn't. I went to see the Spice Girls in the height of their popularity. <laughs> and when it got to about nine o'clock, the entire audience, except for me and the friend I was with, were asleep. And that's because even they don't start at three o'clock. They started at eight o'clock because they are more badass than Johnny Depp. Johnny, Johnny Depp. Depp, Johnny Buck. <laughs> God damn it. Johnny Buck's new album, Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> you know what? Leave it in. Don't care. Yeah. Not even going to edit that. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, derailed us a bit. OK, um, why don't we do this chronologically? High points and low points from choosing sides. What did we like best and dislike the most out of that book? I should imagine we'll probably mostly agree on this. Uh, well, uh, kind of as I said in my little original statement, I liked the story of Amy and Elizabeth, who have a lot in common, even though they're very new friends. Amy wanting to go off and do something else. Uh, the low point was obviously the sexism, but also some of the lack of continuity just in general uh, across books, but also within it, where Amy's good. Oh, she's bad. Oh, she's pretending to be good. Oh, she's pretending to be bad. Just just choose one and keep going with it. And I know a lot of that is because it's from Elizabeth's point of view, and she doesn't actually know everything that Amy's choosing to do, but it was still really annoying. I think one of the things that annoyed me about that book was um, the fact that the unicorn, uh, the Unigibbons, beg your pardon, the Unigibbons didn't really have a plan. They were like, right, we're going to have this booster club and we're going to have all of these people going to join and try to join it and we're going to put them in their place because they're all horrible and smelly and we don't like them and they don't like purple and they're not blonde and blue eyed like we are. But the thing is, when it came to it, they were like, right, how are we going to keep them out? We're going to shout at them. We're going to shout at them and make them do the thing that they came here to do while we look on with a snarky face. And you're like, surely they could have had something more inventive. Yeah, their evil plan is simply to walk out there and exude popularity and confidence. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Even I could come up with a better plan than mm. that. I honestly thought that when uh, Amy was pretending not to, I think I mentioned this in the recap of the comments I made, um, I honestly thought that when Amy was pretending to be bad at the baton twirling, that they'd done something to the batons that made them unbalanced or something. That would which be I great. think would have been cool and inventive. And, uh, but no, it was just just, no, I'm pretending I'm biding my time. It's like, I like you, Amy. I, I am team peripheral character. But at this moment, you're being a bit of an asshat. Yeah, I didn't really understand her plan either. No. Like, maybe it's just because I do know how stuff like this works. But she could have been cut at any moment pretending to be yeah, bad. Yeah, because really yeah. surely they were looking for any reason to cut anyone. So if she dropped the baton in the first mm. round, surely they'd be like, well, I'm sorry. We've got to have like a, what's it called? Like, um... Vote them off the island. <laughs> Yeah, like, you know, where, it's, where like they're ruthless in the first card, yeah. you know. Um, so that is a plan that probably doesn't work. Yeah, it's a plan that's basically stepping into the ring going, right, I intend to be entirely adequate. And you're like, <laughs> really? Okay, let's strike, strike for the moon there. Don't, don't, you know, you do or do not, there is no try. <laughs> I do think, too, that it would have worked so much better for them to actually have sabotaged the batons because it is such a Jessica thing to do. Even by book four, the reader knows that. So the fact that they didn't do that just makes me think the author of this particular one is trying to pull back just a little bit on her being terrible mm -hmm. because she wants her to be more sympathetic. But it doesn't work. 
No, I I mean, I think I can only get behind Jessica when she's being ruthlessly sociopathic and not in the sort of like lol crazy sense, but as in actually the technical definition where she has no empathy for anyone, where she, she justifies all of these terrible things that she does, you know, that kind of aspect of it. And that's what I expect. So when she is behaving herself, you're like, what is going on here? Like, I'm used to terrible Jessica. Why is she being merely bad Jessica? Another thing about the book that sort of irked me a little was um, Ken Matthews and his I want to be um, really good at basketball because my dad is really good at basketball and I want to be on the team to impress him. And I'm like, oh, that's actually quite nice. I quite like that. But when he flubs the basketball um, tryouts the first time when the, the coach thinks that he's the really tall kid when he's not the really tall kid. Tim Davis. That's the lad. When that happens... I'm like, I was thinking, oh, well, maybe maybe that's because he's just nervous at the auditions and his confidence is gone. But no, it actually turns out that he's actually genuinely terrible at basketball at that stage. And there's part of me that just thought, look, I know it's not a very popular way to look at it, but sometimes just wanting something isn't enough. You have to have some modicum of, of skill. And then Elizabeth steps to the plate and becomes super duper basketball coach with a tennis ball and unlocks the beauty within Ken Matthews. And you're like, really? Okay, does Elizabeth and the Wakefields have to be the catalyst for everybody's improvements in this series? Couldn't Ken have been really good, but just nervous? And then it just seemed a little bit a jumbled message, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I don't think there will ever be a point where someone is wants something but can't do it because wanting isn't enough. I don't think that's a message that, they're willing to put out there in any of the books i could be wrong but i don't think so they nearly did it with Stephen when Stephen was like okay check ken show us what you've got and then ken was practicing with Stephen, and Stephen was just basically subtextually saying yeah you're not very good mate i've got to go in now and do my homework bye and that was very believable and i'm like yeah fair enough maybe he'll be my favorite wakefield who knows <laughs> that's terrifying if Stephen's your favorite wakefield <laughs> I do think that's a good point. Like telling Ken's story, it would have been much better to either do he's really good, but he's super nervous because he is short and physically he doesn't live up to his dad's standards and prowess, but he can play it just in a different way or that he has to deal with the fact that he's never going to be a basketball player and he has to find a way to still relate to his dad doing that. And of course they walked the middle line, which did no justification to either story. Agreed. Which is pretty, pretty terrible. My other low point I remembered is that this whole book, the idea of this book turns on whether Elizabeth will choose between Amy trying out for the boosters or Jessica not wanting her on the boosters. There is zero percent chance that Elizabeth would be supporting the Unigibbons keeping people out because she hates them. She hates everything they stand for. Why in the world would she support more exclusion from them? I think that, to me, that highlights a problem I've had with a lot of the books in that there seems to be a forced understanding between the writer and the reader that, I'll use the sentence that really winds me up, Elizabeth could never stay mad at Jessica for long. And it's like, okay, I understand that this is the thing that you want to tell us, but you have to show us that. You have to show us why they have this close bond. And you have to show us why Elizabeth always gives um, Jessica, sorry, the, the, the benefits of the doubt. 
and you have to show us why there is this um, belief in Elizabeth that Jessica will eventually do the right thing. So she can actually have belief in her to say, oh, actually, I will Will I side with Jessica this time or will I side with Amy? If they're just telling us that that's something that's, that occurs without showing us, then how can we believe that? We never see Elizabeth and Jessica having a good relationship. The book always centers on them disagreeing over issue topic of the book. And Elizabeth's always like, I can never stay mad at you. But you're right, there's there's no evidence of why she has this fondness for her, given that, you know, we're only six books in and they've disagreed on every single topic that's been raised in every single book so far. And they've argued throughout. So you're right, where is the moment that shows that they are best friends? The closest that I've got so far is in, ha- in The Haunted House, when Jessica goes after Elizabeth when she thinks she's going to be whisked away by the mansion near the end. Um, and, you know, destroyed by witches or whatever ridiculous reason. It comes from a, do- a dodgy place, but that was the one time I thought, oh, hang on, Jessica's actually showing genuine concern for her sister here. So that's cool. Um, but, you know, if that's the only one we get in 189 books, then I think <laughs> there's something missing. One out of six ain't bad, but one out of 189 is <laughs> a bit worrying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, one out of six is terrible. That's failing just (laughs) on its own. Yeah. Well, like I said, read Evil Elizabeth because that's the one time you see Jessica being decent. You guys will really look forward to that. I mean, (laughs) it's it's coming around in 2018, but, um, you know. Fabulous. Raven will pre-read it next week because he's staring through them. What about sneaking out? How did we feel about that? That's book number five. Uh, High points and low points. I'm guessing the low points were Jessica lost the dog. And I think it's fair to say all three of us were really, really angry about that. I know this is a podcast and you can't see my face, but I'm scowling at the moment. (laughs) I was absolutely fuming. There was a point that I thought the dog was actually going to die. And I know that's in the whole Disney Disney world that we're in. That doesn't really happen in these kind of books. But even so, I was mortified at what was happening there. I think this was the first book for me uh, that Jessica showed that she could justify any action to herself. Literally anything she wanted to do. She was like, well, I'm going to do this because A, B, C, D, E, F. Yeah. These are the reasons why it's fine. Off I go. Yeah, stealing Elizabeth's brand new dress that she'd bought for for the school dance and her brand new shoes and a brand new jacket because she loves Jessica and would want her to look her best. And then stealing the gift for their mother's birthday that Liz paid for. Jessica didn't even contribute to it because they love her. They would want the best for her. It's truly Jessica at her worst. Like she really showed her true colours there. It was strange because I felt it climbed. It started in a way it climbed quite well because it started with the small things like the dress and stuff and it ended with her tying the dog to the tree justifying that whole thing and then leaving. And that was a quite climb from the, the first, oh, she won't mind this to, yes, animal abuse is fine. And if they'd have carried that on, it would have ended with her saying, yes, I think I will turn the gun on this person and I will I will blow this person's kneecaps away because they would run after me. And if they look out of shape and we don't want them to run after me and maybe have a heart attack, just any justification at all for whatever she wants to do. Obscene. Yeah, I actually love that part uh, because I do like how it builds Jessica into this amoral 
unempathetic person. But again, the book doesn't actually carry that all the way through to the end. By the end, yes, she's sort of getting in trouble with Elizabeth, not with really anyone else. But also everything seems to be justified. If not that, yes, it was okay to do this, but in the way that it's, oh, it's not terrible. Everything worked out for the best. And I don't want the dog to die, but I want there to be some sort of consequences for what she did. And that never happens so the end of this really annoyed me, even though I did get a lot of joy out of the Johnny Buck ridiculousness and the idea that Jessica is this terrible person. And the book was finally showing us that intentionally showing us instead of just having her do things that the book supports and are actually terrible, but then it all fell apart at the end. So that was super frustrating in my low point. It's the fact that she even got away with stealing her mum's birthday present. Like Mrs. Bramble's just like, yeah, you lost my dog, but oh, tweens will be tweens. It was a Johnny Buck concert. You probably did the right thing. Here, have a gift. It's like, fuck no. You lost my pet. You are a horrible human being. Return the $25 that I gave to you. And I want to know that you're going to be grounded for the next three months because you're a waste of humanity. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the bit that got me about the end was they did try to show that Jessica was being repentant because she was crying and confessing to more that she had to, than, than she had to confess to Mrs. Bramble. But then... Once she'd got that out of her system, it was like, right, back to back to the facade and back to normal. And the punishment she received, I do believe, was it not that she had to walk the dog for a few months? Yeah. And immediately, before the end of the book, she was trying to put off the first time that she had to walk the dog. And that was like, oh, Jessica. And I sort of understand it in the sort of episodic sitcom stroke soap opera way that you need to start and begin each book from the same place in order to be able to churn them out the way they do. But even so, there should be more. There should have been more retribution beforehand. Yeah, and also um, in that same conversation where she's trying to pawn off the dog walking to Elizabeth again, mm-hmm. she apologises to Elizabeth, and I think she said something along the lines of, "You're not going to believe how good I'm going to be. I'm going to be so nice that you won't mm-hmm. recognise me." And then two seconds later, she's like, "Yeah, you know that Brooke Dennis kid." I'm going to make her life hell. She is going to rue the day she was born. Um, She's just going to, I want her slitting her wrist within a week of being at school. She's a horrible (laughs) human being. I'm going to drive her to suicide. Yay. And I'm like, wow, face turn. Like that was quicker than the big show's face turn. That was like less than a fucking sentence. It was really a sharp change. And yes, I do think that at the, this point in that book what we saw of brooke she is terrible she kicked the dog i hate her too that doesn't mean i want you to try to make her leave school or commit suicide or whatever plan you have jessica mostly because you are also terrible like nothing this girl has done is any worse than anything jessica's done but jessica's supposed to be our hero i also as i'm sitting here reading over back over our recaps i'm really annoyed by how much this book focuses on will elizabeth tell her parents if jessica speaks out not about jessica's terrible and abandons a dog yeah, I forgot about that. There was one point in particular where she was actually stood outside Mrs. Bramble's house trying to delay them from going in. And it's like, give it up, Jessica. Give it up, Elizabeth. It's over. Oh, no, I have to support Jessica in all her madcap schemes. Not this time. Yeah, the life of an animal is mm. far more important than Jessica getting away with sneaking out, you know. And also, the answer is always no. Will Elizabeth cover for Jessica? Literally, yes. Jessica could stab Mr. Nydick in the eye in front of Elizabeth and Elizabeth would be like 
No, Jessica was out braiding orphans' hair. She would never do that. To be fair, neither could probably deserve it. Okay, maybe bad example. How about Ms. Weiler? We, we have no beef with her. She teaches maths. <laughs> maths is evil. <laughs> maths teachers must die. We have no beef with her because I don't remember who she is until you said what she taught. <laughs> you know how, like, proper grown-ups have really useful facts in there? Not me. I have the teaching staff of Sweet Valley Middle School. Yeah, not even the headmistress knows the teaching staff of Sweet Valley Middle School. Actually, I don't know who the hell they're head... They don't have a headmaster or headmistress. That explains a lot. In fact, I reckon Janet Howell is probably the head of the school. <laughs> First of all, it would be principal here. Oh, yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah, principal. you funny Americans with your funny sayings. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but you're right. It's weird that we haven't really seen a lot of that sort of level of control. Though I guess it's not super weird because they never get into actual trouble for what they're doing. That is true. In Sweet Valley High, their t- uh, their head, their principal is called Mr. Cooper, and he's known as Chrome Dome Cooper, and he's in it a lot, despite the fact that they don't they don't get into trouble with the principal. But then again, I think Elizabeth does a lot of meddling, so she sits in on kids who are in trouble with the principal because they need some shoulder patting and meddling. But don't pull that face, Wing. Don't pull that. But there's no reason why she said don't pull that face. It's Elizabeth fucking Wakefield. She she can do whatever she wants. Okay. Fine. Is it going to help if I start picturing their principal at every level as the rock? Because that's what I'm doing now. <laughs> wow, that, that puts a lot of things into different perspective. You know what? In 2021, when we finish Sweet Valley Middle School, we'll move up to high and, you know, we can see how your casting of the rock impacts everything. Excellent. Um, And then finally, we've got the new girl, which... Um, wing has not read <laughs> it's all right i have not recapped so. <laughs> yeah they're throwing me under the bus but we're recording this at the beginning of february and it will go out at the end so by the time you listen to this i will have read the tear book <laughs> well let the record show i was happy to just wing it and uh, let it uh, go on unmentioned i can't yeah she always brings up my failings when we're on the point horror <laughs> podcast so um no, um, she lists every dick move I make, so I am going to revel in this one. This one's just... <laughs> well, now I know who's on my side, and I will remember that in a few months when we're in the same place. So keep that in mind, Doug. Keep that in mind. But, uh, okay, so you two tell me, what were the highs and what were the lows about this book? I I kind of thought this book was ridiculous amounts of fun if you take away the abusive undertones. Basically, what it was... Um, just to give you a quick overview, since you haven't read it at this point, is Brooke Dennis um, joins Sweet Valley Middle. And for some reason, Alice insists that the twins befriend her. I think it's because um, Brooke's dad has got a really big house and Alice wants to get the contract for interior design. And Brooke obviously is not very nice to them. So they conjure up a triplet called Jennifer who makes best friends with Brooke and it all builds to Jennifer playing a trick on Brooke so that when she sort of in the aftermath of this this trick and she stands up and she went Jennifer Wakefield did it everyone will go haha there's no Jennifer Wakefield and presumably the staff of Sweet Valley Middle School will never figure out who is behind the trick really presumably she's doing the face again <laughs> You know what? No, I'll save all of that for the actual recap comments. Okay. 
Except I mean, for this one point. Someone who looked just like those two did this trick. Whoever could have really been Jennifer Wakefield. Exactly. I'm blaming Mr. Nidick. I think it's him. <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm going to uh, blame pretty much anyone in Sweet Valley who isn't the subject of a very special episode because there's something very Aryan going on in the genetics of, <laughs> of that town because they're all blonde hair, blue eyed, tan skin, perfect figures. There's something really sinister about how alike everybody looks. So because apparently Mary Wallace or Guyaco or... Um, Robinson or whatever surname she's going through at this point. She looks exactly like the twins, so maybe it was her. Okay. Clearly. I will say I'm kind of skimming this in the background while you guys are talking because uh, it is a really easy read, all of the books are. And I just hit the point where Jessica's all upset because Brooke was wearing a skirt and stockings on the weekend. <laughs> that is actually a plot point that they use because her fa- eventually it, it turns out that her father has, has hired a stylist for her. So all her clothes are picked out for her, and she hates that. Um, and she really just wants to slob around in whatever crap she can find under the under the bed. Um, but she always turns out immaculately. Um, and it's a shame that that is, is something that the, the children pick on her for. Although, if it wasn't that, it would be something else, I'm pretty sure. Right, but for Jessica to be upset over that, Elizabeth actually points this out, which I thought was surprisingly good. That's exactly the kind of things the unicorns wear constantly, except in purple. So why are you so mad? (laughs) Raven actually brought up a good point uh, this morning while we were um, making tea and stuff like that. Um, He actually said, why doesn't someone just wear purple just to piss off the unicorns? And it's like, yeah. Yeah. Good point. Why don't they? Yeah. I just turn up to school and say, yeah, fuck you. I'm wearing purple. Look at me. I'm I'm dressing like Barney. What are you going to do about it? (laughs) I think that'd be amazing. Well, you know, just get Lois Waller and Ken Matthews and all the so-called misfits just to dress up as purple, in purple, just for a day, just to just to really throw a spanner in their idiotic little work. And get them to sit in the unicorner. The unicorner. <laughs> <laughs> I like that we are fomenting uh, revolution in Sweet Valley by wearing purple. <laughs> I think my take on on this book, I mean, I, re- I actually quite enjoyed it. Um, there was a few issues that I had with it, which I'll, I'll go through in a sec. But I liked Brooke uh, overall because although she was unconscionably hideous at first and she was a tattletale and she did all these things that were were out of the um, the general scope of what a 12 year old should do at school. There were a lot of times the things that they were berating her for. She had perfectly valid reasons to do for example there's one part where she has the gall to shout at bruce patman in the canteen and she shouts at him calls him a jerk and storms off because he cut in front of her in the lunch line and i'm like what's wrong with that the guy is obviously a jerk but everyone's like oh you can't shout at bruce he's rich he's good looking he's on the basketball team and it's like yeah that's really yeah. an uncomfortable... Ridiculous. Wow, mm. talk about really enabling the entitlement that that yeah. hideous yeah. guy already has. Yeah. yeah. So good for Brooke for shouting at him. One of the good things I like about the, the, the plan, the Jessica, uh, Jennifer um, and Elizabeth plan, is that it was Jessica's idea and it was a spur of the moment thing. And even the idea later on, the embarrassment idea, was also a spur of the moment thing. And the way it was written was it was like Jessica has an idea and her face lights up and it the ideas that they had were actually quite creative 
um, the ways to embarrass Brooke and the the the, the whole tw- uh, triplet thing, and it does sort of set Jessica up as being a bit of an evil genius, which I I quite enjoyed. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's fine. Um, I still don't like her character, but that is a good a good way to show us that she's not that the, the way she's bad. Um, the issue I have with the Jennifer character is basically in, in the book Jennifer is introduced and they do a quick oh put on a blue sweater and then they say ha what we're going to do is we're going to befriend Brooke and then embarrass her and literally the next sentence it seems that Jennifer and Brooke are best friends and the amount of actual time that's passed in the actual story is 10 minutes and they haven't actually seen each other since and it's like how did that happen I honestly think in reading that the the something was cut there must have been something cut out of that at the last minute because it literally didn't make any sense. Yeah, because later on in the book, you know, and by later on, because these things are only like 90 pages long. So by later on, I mean like five pages later. Brooke saying things like, oh, thank God you're here, Jen. Like, I, I feel so alone in this school. I'm so glad I've got you as a mm. friend, which is really sad. It sort of speaks of this deep friendship. And like Jennifer didn't even have to chase her. Brooke hated Elizabeth. She hated Jessica. And I have to say, I I love the idea that um, the only tolerable Wakefield (laughs) is a fictional one, you know, within the universe, you know. But yeah, Brooke's like, oh, you know, I'm so glad I've got a friend like you. But there's there's no lead up to them being friends. It's just like, you know, there's a scene where they're introduced and suddenly BFFs. That's a... um extension of that i think they sort of do the same thing later on when they have the reconciliation after the prank now i think the prank is actually well pulled off it's actually quite inventive and they pace it well and by this point obviously the um, elizabeth is regretting doing the prank so is trying to stop it happening but that whole scene i think is quite well written when the when she's trying to interject and the other uh, kids are stepping in and, and stopping that happening because they want the prank to go ahead and when the prank actually happens and the whole the new one there i think that's actually really good I, I really feel for Brooke at that stage. They've set her up as quite a sympathetic character by that time. And her crumble, her fall, when she realises that her basically her one friend, the only friend she's ever had, is fictional. That's proper carry moment. I, ex- I expected latent superpowers to come out, blood to drip from the ceiling, and, and she storms off. And that's great. I, I enjoyed that a lot. <laughs> Side project. However, what happened then was... They go around and try to apologise, and at first she's very, don't want anything to do with this, but again, almost immediately, like something's been cut out, she's like, okay then, I I forgive you, we're friends, and she even makes a joke of the embarrassing thing that happened literally 20 minutes ago, and it was written, so it was mortifying, it it was a horrible thing for them to do. And all of a sudden she's like, oh, maybe, oh, it's okay. As long as I get a decent chair to sit on this time. <laughs> and you're like, it didn't seem complete. I think if this book was another 50 pages long with those bits covered, I think it would have been really good. I know it couldn't be because of the, 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 the constraints of the, the form. But yeah, I think it needed more. As of book 46, they do actually reach out to about 150, 160 pages. And so I guess maybe we'll take note of whether it does help in situations like this. But back to this specific book like there's a point where alice actually says that uh brooke's father has phoned them to say that brooke is so upset that she doesn't want to see the twins and it's like alice do you want to like parent like your kids have tormented this poor girl to the point where she doesn't want to leave her house and you're like oh maybe in the future you won't be such dicks like do you not want to deal with with the now 
So that's a down point. But it was quite a well, it was a far more interesting story than the other two um, of this month. Yeah, Brooke, Brooke was a lot more nuanced than I expected her to be from her introduction. I do think even just skimming what I've done so far and listening to you guys, her story is kind of heartbreaking. I mean, she mm. is the new girl in this new place with rude neighbors and she's lonely. And then her only friend ends up being not really a person, not only pretending to be her friend, but not actually real. It's horrible. Like, I feel really badly for her. And I usually do for the side characters, mostly because they have to deal with the Wakefield. <laughs> but this is a really realistic look at how difficult it is to beat the new kid except that once again our heroes are the ones leading the bullying and i know this is before there was a lot of talk about bullying in schools but still they're not even reprimanded by their mother this is ridiculous come on wakefield's parent just a little bit well i love the book the line in in uh, book five and i i put it in the recap that Alice was a grade mother to the entire school. I'm like, <laughs> number one, what is that? Like, I wasn't willing to Google it because, you know, it's far more funny for me not to know. Um, second of all, Alice doesn't even parent her own three kids. She hasn't got time to parent the rest of Sweet Valley. And honestly, I think Sally the dog would be a better parent. <laughs> it is nice to see Sally the dog making an appearance in The New Girl, though, uh, even though that was very weird, the way that the... The Wakefields thought, I know, how, how can we apologise to Brooke? We'll take the dog that she kicked and we'll put a bow in its hair so it looks like Jessica Wakefield. Jennifer. Uh, yeah, thank you, pardon. looks like Jennifer Wakefield. And we'll all dress as Jennifer Wakefields like three little children of the corn and we'll turn off and that will make her forgive us. And it does because reasons. Yeah, if I was Brooke, I was like, OK, I'm going to apologise to the dog, but now I want to kick each of you. <laughs> So are the Wakefields really the witches of Sweet Valley? Because I feel like they keep hypnotizing people into doing exactly what they want them to do. Yeah. Well, you know how um, in Gossip Girl, I haven't read it, but I know you told me this. Um, the author rewrote book one for Blair and Serena to be spree killers. I keep poking Raven. I'm like, could you rewrite Sweet Valley so that the twins are uh, spree killers? Because I think that would be a more satisfying read if, if they just owned up to what they are. Side project. Yeah, I don't think yeah. it would take much, to be fair. No, I think that's super realistic and uh, pretty much right there in the text. <laughs> Which actually is a really good way to segue into our new segment, which is Welcome to Bleak Valley. In which case, we will talk about the books, and in this case, we'll talk about all the way back to book one, and how they fit into the idea of Bleak Valley. And Raven, this is kind of your baby, so could you do a brief summary of what Bleak Valley is? Okay, um, our first thing, because this is a new segment, I think we should have some music, so um, I'm going to sing a little song. Bleak Valley, Bleak Valley, Bleak Valley. Okay, that's a placeholder for the next... Well, hopefully we'll have better music next time. <laughs> you know, I'm going to have that as my ringtone. <laughs> Every time he rings me, Bleak Valley. <laughs> okay, so Bleak Valley is the um, <laughs> the dark heart of the Sweet Valley experience. It was a, a throwaway comment that I made to uh, Dove, which was along the lines of, Jessica Wakefield doesn't actually exist nor do the majority of the cast uh, that we have all come to know and love of these books. 
Um, they're all the figments of the imagination of Elizabeth Wakefield, who is a poor, abused child, an only child, who lives lives in the cupboard under the stairs in the Wakefield compound, where the elder Wakefields drink themselves into oblivion of their own shitty lives while they um, neglect their offspring. And all the characters that she has created, from Jessica to to Amy to the the paper to the unicorn, the unigibbons, they are all um, merely Elizabeth's coping mechanism and the way she gets through her day. I'm really quite scared as to what Mr. Nydick represents in this. Yeah. I could explain, but the court has decreed that I mustn't. <laughs> I, I think we've summed it up with the word bleak. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, I've absolutely fallen in love with this theory because it, it makes the books interesting and new again, because obviously I've been reading these since the 90s. Um, so to read them again and to find sort of evidence that supports this um, is just it's so much fun for me. And I'm kind of hoping that it makes it a bit more palatable for you, Wing, because I know that you find everything in this to be just Wingo's boom. Like, I, every word provokes a Wingo's boom. So I'm kind of hoping that this sort of helps temper it. If, you know, if this, everything's incredibly shallow because it's a 12-year-old's imagination. And not only that, it's a 12-year-old that doesn't get out much and probably only sees, like, little bits of tv shows and you know she she just stays under the stairs and sort of like incorporates the stories that she's seen in bits of tv shows or even adverts or whatever and sort of tries to build a happier world out of it and it sort of explains why everything's so shallow and why the good guys do not necessarily the right thing because you know she's only justifying it for the sake of her story and things like that so i find it like it helps the really awful books. I agree. I already am enjoying the books more with that in the back of my head as I'm reading. And I love the idea that we can go through each time, uh, both of the recaps themselves and the overall post that we're keeping of it and in the podcast and talk about the pieces and how they fit together and how they don't. So I think it does help with the shallowness in particular, but also with the fact that so much of what happens to save the day, what Elizabeth does to save the day or how Jessica repents, all of that never really makes sense, as we've talked about extensively so far in this podcast. And I think the idea that this is all a fictional thing where Elizabeth is just trying to protect this world that she's created helps make it make a little bit more sense. Like, of course, it's not going to be super logical because she is just this 12-year-old abused kid, but at the same time, she's desperately trying to protect the world she's created. So that really does help. Mm. Uh, and we have put together, Raven put together, a great little intro to Bleak Valley on the website, and we will try to link that in the show notes for this episode. Uh, but it's a great summary, and I wanted to read just this little bit, because I love this line that he put out, and it goes like this. We have a name for this conceit, this desolate nightmare. Elizabeth's altered reality, the purple underbelly of her cracked psyche, the dark world of her mind and soul. Bleak Valley. <laughs> so that's kind of what we're talking about here. Uh, so we have six books to kind of cover this and we'll hit just the highlights so far mm -hmm. so this doesn't end up being six hours long but <laughs> what do you guys think are the pieces from the six books we've read so far okay the five books i've read and the six books you guys have read <laughs> what do you guys think 
uh, are the high points of Bleak Valley that really hold this theory together. Well, I think the first book really sets the scene. I think this might be like the the bit where Elizabeth started building Jessica as a separate entity. And that's why it was a bit wrenching for her for, you know, when they stopped dressing alike, she was like, no, Jessica's going to be a real separate person. She's like, she's not going to be my aspiration. She's going to be Jessica. Like, so possibly that sort of ties into it. Um, my brain tends to scoot off into the future. So if you guys have got any, <laughs> sort of, like, I know every so often Raven will be walking past and I'll be on book 112 and go, oh, this book in particular really <laughs> ties it in. So. <laughs> so basically Dove walks around with spoilers coming out everywhere. Just every yes. time. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Yes. I actually think that that's a great idea that book one is building is where elizabeth is building this world for herself so i think that also explains why there's fifty thousand characters introduced for no Mm. real reason because she is suddenly if jessica and i are going to be separate that we both have this whole world of people and here they all are i've now created a society in which i can live as a happy positive hero with a sister I love and a best friend and all these things to do. So it really makes sense as to why this world just suddenly kind of explodes as if it has been picked up and sat down in front of us. Well, I kind of have a theory on the characters that maybe Elizabeth was allowed out to go and play like a playground or something. And Lila Fowler and the Unigibbons kind of picked on her for being possibly in shabby clothing or just being that weird kid who doesn't go out very often and possibly amy sort of said i'll leave her alone and so amy became the best friend character and the unicorns became the unicorns like the sort of antagonists at the same time the unicorns were sort of like aspirational figures for her because they were well dressed and they looked happy and they were friends with each other they might not have been the nicest human beings ever but they were sort of like they had things that elizabeth would have liked for herself and so jessica was allowed to join them because they were still mean so elizabeth wanted the luxury of being able to snub them and say I could be friends with you, but I choose Amy because she was nice to me. And that's sort of my theory on where these characters came from. Yeah, I quite like that theory. I think it does lead into a theory that I had about the third book. Um, If, for example, you've got you you sort of you picture Elizabeth as going to this playground and maybe being picked on because she has the shabby clothes or she comes from the weird house down the lane, then surely from the third book, she is actually Nora who turns up at, a, at the strange house and has the, the everyone picking on her and stuff like that. So her befriending Nora is maybe part of her way of trying to come to terms with that, especially when later on it turns out that Nora has everybody in the palm of her hand because she displays she's actually got a really cool life and a really her grandfather was a, a world-famous magician. And although there's a reason why he's no longer doing that, the fact that she's learning those skills it's it's a way for elizabeth to display to herself that maybe she has worth in the the world that she's created so yeah just so you know wing and i were sort of making oh faces as that theory was unfolded that was heartbreaking i think that <laughs> might be the point where i'm like okay i'm going to cut these books some slack the series some slack because that is a heartbreaking idea like in order to protect herself she has to befriend the poor abused new girl version of herself that is terrible i love it oh my gosh 
Of course, on a more superficial level, the other thing that I think is um, I like the fact that we can explain away the ineptitudes of the Elder Wakefields in that I don't think that she's got a per- uh, she, I don't think she's got a frame of reference for what a good parents would be. So everything that they do that's slightly weird and slightly standoffish, and I think it just comes from the fact that she doesn't know how how parents work. Yeah, like if Alice failed, I mean, I always bring up Alice, but Ned barely exists. And I guess that's probably a trope as well. Like, you know, the father is busy working all hours, especially if he's a lawyer. But if Alice and Ned fail to um, parent actively in Elizabeth's world, they're still doing a good job because they're not shouting. They're not Mm. slapping her. They're saying, well, they're just sort of accepting it, which is incredibly passive and awful. But to Elizabeth, that that might be better because they're not going to hit her over nothing or, you know, it's, this is sad. Of course they can't punish her. They don't punish her or punish Jessica in an actual punishment way when she does terrible things because that is too close to reality. So, of course, she's going to pull back from that edge every time it comes up on it. So they are just going to forgive her no matter what the darkest parts of her brain or the darkest parts of what Jessica is doing. They're always going to accept her and still be her parents because that's what she desperately wants from her actual parents. And this whole thing is terrible. Oh, my God. <laughs> the theory is heartbreaking. I think another one that I have, uh, I think uh, I want to mention from book five. I think book five is quite a telling um, book if you if you frame it in the Bleak Valley way, because I think this is the first book in which the abused Elizabeth gives Jessica complete free reign. And at what some point she realizes, oh, my God, I've gone too far with this imagined thing that's happening. And my entire world is is almost falling apart. There's a part where. Jessica's nearly trampled at a concert and there's a dog that could die and if any of these things actually happened then the real world backlash from that or the imagined real world backlash from that would be enough to make the whole thing crumble she couldn't just reset if Jessica lost a leg because of the trampling so Elizabeth's frantic I can't let Jessica get into trouble for this is a way of her trying to pull back all the imagined things that she's done in order for her to live the abused life back at the end to get back to the stage where she's comfortable in her existence you're looking that's at me like terrifying. I'm yeah. No, that's great. It's just terrifying. Yeah. I think that actually leads really well into the new girl, too, because she's come to the very edge of seeking out uh, with the world crumbling, and she almost burst her own bubble of existence mm. there. So, of course, now there there's an outside threat coming in that they can neutralize uh, to protect it. Because with the previous book, it's her. She is the threat by letting it go too far. So instead of carrying that weight she has to put it on someone else coming in and almost bursting the bubble so that's a way to deal with that and the fallout from that and it's also heartbreaking especially because she's created a third triplet to uh yeah to assuage her guilt from doing that as well i was also about to say it ties in perfectly with your theory because it's massively telling that jennifer is so soft like um she's written as having a really whispery voice she dresses in big soft clothes you know she's just so gentle it's as if she's like created the anti-jessica just to keep jessica in check do you think jennifer could actually be the closest to elizabeth to the real elizabeth oh that's a good theory because it could also be seen that this external influence that is basically coming in and ridiculing the town and the constructs that she's created 
and it could be that the only way she can overcome that is by being as much as herself as possible towards the new girl and being the one to befriend her. That's really interesting. It also makes me wonder if this is part of Elizabeth learning that so she's built this world in which she, Elizabeth, and she, Jessica, can be heroes and popular and all these things, but they're not her. So it's just, even when she's completely submerged into it, she still knows that the her that is actually her core isn't being accepted. But this point, which she almost broke it in seeking out and is now recovering from that, her actual inner self, Jennifer, finds a place and finds a friend. And that is so scary to her that, that she then has to erase that. Oh, Jennifer's just fake. This whole friendship has been fake. But at the end, all of them dress like Jennifer. All of them come back mm. to that core to make up with this new piece that's come into their world. Mm. So I'm wondering if she's sort of beginning to understand that she, herself, her actual self, is not something to be hated or abused, even if that's what her life has been. So she's still protecting that, but in a way that she's going to slowly start showing that out, which, again, is heartbreaking. When we first talked about this, it sounded like such a fun idea to talk about. But as we're analyzing it, this is horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Playing Silent Hill is fun, but if you sit down and think about the ramifications of every single monster, you end up just crying in the corner going, it's not fair. Same thing here, clearly. Pyramid adds our feelings too. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I will say that uh, creating Jennifer has made me just picture a Resident Evil thing here where there's just five billion clones of the <laughs> blonde haired, blue eyed, freakish people everywhere. And I'm just like, okay, that's slightly lighthearted. I'll sit with that image for a while. I think that's actually the subject of book 55. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I'm depressed. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to have to figure out another segment to go after this. Yeah, we need something lighthearted. I don't want to leave you guys on this terrible situation. Now a picture of some cute cats. (laughs) Right. So, uh, Dove, since you do often come to us and say, oh, in 2019, you'll love these books that we read. In the next month or two, is there anything that we can look forward to uh, in the upcoming books? Um, Well, I get to do a horsey book, which is kind of exciting because I was a pony enthusiast back in the day, like had my own pony and everything. So that was good fun. You wing get to do the, a story that centers about adoption, which I know you have uh, strong feelings about. So that might not be fun for you, but Raven and I just can't wait for the next Wingo's Boom moment. <laughs> so I'm sorry we're having to uh, pull enjoyment out of your anger, but, um, you know, you take what you can get in this series. And Raven, what are you doing? Oh, you're doing Against the Rules, which is a very special episode where we learn that poor people are human too. Excellent. <gasps> This is new information. It is about dare time, Sweet Valley. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it should be fun. Uh, I reckon we we all will have the opportunity to go boom in various places, um, particularly you, Wing. What she's stepping around is the fact that I am adopted, so I have very strong feelings about the portrayal of adoption in fiction, uh, as you guys will find out in the very near future, clearly. <laughs> I am looking forward to the horse book because I also grew up with horses, but in a very different way, Western style, as opposed to what in the U.S. we would call English style, uh, which is doesn't have the same sort of competition. Their show events uh, has very different 
writing styles. So I like it when Dove comes in and explains things to me. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, because, I mean, it never particularly states it, but as far as I can tell, the book is centred on, like, the European style of writing and showing and stuff like that. So that's probably a bit of a weird choice, but we can delve into that more in the appropriate podcast. I once got Uh, bitten by a horse. (laughs) So I have strong feelings about them. Well, I nearly broke my back twice thanks to a horse um wing your your horse story i'm not going to tell it yet i'll save it for the podcast but i have an <laughs> excellent horse fighting story about my dad uh which actually i think dove knows but i will share it then because it is hilarious uh, but even just from the cover i can tell that it is definitely european style or english style riding you don't wear that sort of blazers and jaw hoppers and riding boots uh and you wouldn't show in a ring with dressage or anything what did what did you just call the trousers? Crap! How do you say it? Jodpers. That's what I said. I thought jodpers. I thought I, I I heard you say jodhoppers. Oh well, then I stumbled over it. <laughs> I was trying to say jodpers. Excellent. Now they can make fun of me forever. By the way, Eliz- don't you think Elizabeth looks like a dominatrix on that front cover? She's like there with the whip. Slapping it against her palm. Yeah. I definitely thought that was Jessica about to beat someone up. (laughs) Yeah. Straight into the annals of Bleak Valley there. Yeah, Jessica will whip a bitch. (laughs) Also, this is why our website keeps getting flagged. (laughs) Yeah. We talk about identical twins and piss all over the floor, and now about (laughs) dominatrices. And whipping bitches, yeah. I've done us some real favours here. Don't worry, I marked our languages as explicit on iTunes, so we're fine. Thank God. <laughs> All right, so that kind of sounds like we're wrapping up now that we've mocked Wing a bunch, as they do. Uh, so do you guys have any final thoughts about the books we read or about what's coming up? Or about Bleak Valley? Though, again, let's not end on a super depressing note. <laughs> well, I am um, actually enjoying the books much more than I thought I would be. Um, which is great because it, it means I'm enthusiastic to read more. As I said, I've read ahead now for about five or six books, so I, I know what's coming um, on a very macro scale. But um, hopefully, hopefully that uh, they'll just be keep, keep getting better, especially when we enter into the, the realms of the, the bizarre, which uh, I'm promised by Dove that will happen at one stage. So. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to the Super Chillers, which are supernatural books. It's a supernatural event in every single one. It doesn't cop out, and it was like the janitor all along wearing a ghost mask or whatever. So I'm looking forward to them. Um, I'm looking forward to Raven doing our first super edition. And actually, I'm just really enjoying how much Raven is enjoying these these books because he's like oh yeah i'm on book 10 now and things like that and yeah it's just adorable really (laughs) that is utterly charming that he is loving these Uh, i am obviously not enjoying reading them though bleak valley (laughs) does help um, but i am really loving the recapping and the podcast it's a lot of fun to see you guys theories and to hear from readers of the recaps but it's also interesting to be able to have that moment of wing goes boom, but then talk it out after in ways that sometimes help me see why they did what they did. And sometimes it's just terrible. They did it because they're terrible, but sometimes there are other aspects to it. So I love that part of it. And I'm definitely looking forward to the supernatural stories. And it still blows my mind that Sweet Valley is going to give me more supernatural than 90% of the point horrors that I read. So that just is something I'm having a hard time believing till we get there. But I'm super excited about it. 
yeah, it it will be fun. They're they're quite good little stories, like for the age group. I seem to remember, like yeah, it's going to be fun once we get there. We've just got to slog through like four more months <laughs> of bullying new girls, and and then we get some ghosts. Wow, only four months. How quickly it will fly. Perk up, wing. <laughs> in four more months, we'll we'll be in Las Vegas together. So that'll be fun. That is exciting. Super exciting. Definitely. All right. Uh, this has been Sweet Valley Online, Wing, Raven, and Dove recapping Sweet Valley Twins and our terrible Bleak Valley aspect of it. We guys, we will see you guys next month. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.